0: to the spoiler alert podcast and today is a very special day because it marks the season three premiere of spoiler alert podcast we've been doing this since the christmas of 2020 so we're just very happy to be still doing this even though you know Some of the videos have been coming in fewer and farther between, and we are planning on doing a better job of scheduling out our videos in the future so we can keep them going and keep them going consistently. And it makes a lot of sense that we were doing a lot more when there was, uh, you know, when we were still more quarantining. Speaking of that, today specifically, we will not have Dakota in in this review, but fully expect everything to... Come back to normal here pretty quick, so we'll be doing videos again. Just maybe a different schedule, so we'll keep you guys updated on all of that. Before we get started, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spoiler Alert Podcast. Please, if you're able, donate to our Patreon, whatever you can. This is a labor of love, and you know the more funding we have to go towards it, the more we will do with it. We're looking on getting better equipment soon. But with that, today we're going to be reviewing Ikiru from 1952. Now this is a film that's directed by Akira Kurosawa, who also directed Ran, if you remember that Father's Day episode from last year. Akira Kurosawa is one of my favorite all-time directors and really one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. He's really great at you know, being, he's, he's the first of a lot of things. He, you know, was like the first director to film The Sun in an effective way. He was first to create the assembling a team type of movie. Um, Maybe not the exact first, but, but probably the first to make the assemble a team kind of like action flick with Seven Samurai. And then, you know, his use of telephoto lenses and, when he went to his color era and we're going to make a video about Akira Kurosawa at some point that's going to be a little more in depth but just know this is a very 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 intelligent director his editing techniques we'll talk about in this film Akira Kurosawa is one of the great masters of film. Akira stars Takashi Shimura and Shimura is one of the actors that Akira Kurosawa brings back again and again in many of his films. Shimura was in Seven Samurai, and he was in Hidden Fortress, and uh, among others. He has a very, very intense performance in this film, and you can tell that him and Toshiro Mifune from other Kurosawa films were both very, very well trained in acting for the silent films. The silent film era for Japan lasted a little longer than the silent film era in America. By the time the the 40s came around and they got a lot more talkies, a lot of people were already trained in the art of silent film, which, you know, you had to be Lon Chaney. You see a lot of that here. You see a lot of very, very exaggerated expressions the film actually begins with an x-ray of a man's stomach and a narrator explains that this man's stomach has cancer and he's going to die and he only has a few months to live and he doesn't know it yet. The man is named Kenji Watanabe who's played by Sh- Shimira. and Kenji works in public affairs for this uh, district, um, borough, whatever it may be, I believe in, in like the greater Tokyo area. You can tell that Kenji is beyond hope with his job. He's apathetic when it comes to asking people for help. He uh, passes the buck onto other departments, and they do the same. And they'd be like, "Well, take it to you know water. Take it to." housing take it to this and that and zoning and blah 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 blah, and no one actually ever gets anything done because just bureaucracy and politics and you know apathy and what people think is possible the way they film that is a bunch of wipe cuts which you'll see a lot in star wars and really were commonly used by Kira kurosawa and that's a pretty unique thing about his style. Um, he uses a lot of wipe cuts, a lot of unique, a lot of unique transitions. And the new uh, problem that has brought forth to Kenji is that there's like this big cess cesspool in the middle of a neighborhood, um, where like garbage and waste and shit and anything you can imagine is just like built up in that little area. And they need to like get it drained or cleaned or repaired or something something needs to be done with it and they keep passing it around now Kenji's in the hospital waiting room waiting for news of what's what's wrong with him and why his stomach hurts so bad and why he has you know bad shits and this and that and a fellow patient explains to him how bad stomach cancer can be where your stool turns black you're either heavily constipated or you have extreme diarrhea not fun stuff but something that the patient also warned him about that doctors will tell them that will tell him that it's just an ulcer to keep his hopes up but it'll it'll eventually be cancer and if it's cancer he only has six months to live. That night Kenji comes home to see Mitsu who is his son. Um, They live together. Mitsu can tell that something's wrong with Kenji but Kenji's holding it back because he's very prideful very private that kind of thing uh doesn't want to continues to just not want to rock the boat is is one of the big themes here not rocking the boat early on that night he has flashbacks of Mitsu and Mitsu during the course of the film seems ungrateful and seems um this and that but overall comes around um, very big source of pride for Kenji. He has like flashbacks of him playing baseball. He has flashbacks of him just as a little kid. And then Kenji walks into a tavern of some type where a writer is drinking and talking to a bartender and they kind of hit it off right away, just as friends and the much younger writer kind of likes Kenji um, because he talks he explains about his sickness and he explains about his like uh, feelings about his son not liking him and you know pushing him away keep in mind that the writer here is very drunk already but very fun lighthearted, and wants to take Kenji out on a for a night on the town and they do just that they go to a piano bar and he sings a song that's very sad and he would sing later in the film about basically enjoying life while you have it um and doing the best with life while you have it during this night on the town they go to like these clubs uh see some strippers they bring girls back in their car kenji needs a moment to himself to i believe vomit it's reminded of by all of them that he is dying so he doesn't have like all the vigor to i think make the most of that night if i recall but and then the next morning kenji has a pretty bad hangover and he sees a former employee of his a former female employee of his so they get coffee they go skating they go to to a fair they watch a movie kind of has like a really big day of it and then she she convinces him to reconnect with his son too which is use which is nice because she's interested in like his change of perspective because he always seemed like such a grouch but now he's kind of opened up to the world a little more right at the very end and Mitsu still not knowing Kenji's diagnosis or anything snaps at him before he can tell him that he's sick and a lot of it was like about like inheritance and stuff like that too so it came off as Uh, extra, you know, rude and hurtful. And the female former employee that he's been seeing a little bit these last few days is named Toyo. Toyo eventually agrees to dinner with Kenji. And that's when Kenji tells her about his cancer. She makes toy bunnies for a living. And because of that, like, she can still find meaning in that because she knows that uh, she make it makes like little kids happy. So even though it's like laborious and just one thing and, you know, soul dra- soul draining, really like she can still make the best of it. And he's inspired by that and and grabs hold of one of the uh, toy rabbits and skitters off aw- away from her and uh, with a new motive. It cuts to five months later. And this is the big transition point in the film a totally different pov pov swapped entirely at this point in the film and the press is basically buzzing around a new park that kenji had made and what in what turns out to be that old cesspool location they're at this wake and at this wake there's like really corporate higher ups and mayors and this and that that are there and then there's like more ground-level local political employees that he had worked with. But the corporate people are really douchey, specifically the mayor. He kind of belittled uh, Kenji's accomplishments in getting the playground built because he claims that it was, you know, just a part of his duty the whole time. And any good director of public affairs would do the same. Here, he exceeded expectations and exceeded really anyone's ambitions for getting anything done in public affairs. So a lot of the people that were on the ground level stuck around a little longer at the wake than the corporate people. The corporate people left. The other ones kind of stuck around and started drinking and hanging out a little more. A lot of them weren't sure if uh, Kenji knew he was sick because they figured if he knew he was sick... Why would he be doing that much? Because he was doing a lot for an older director. And then they start to piece together all the work that he did and all, any of the signs of him being sick that he had. So that pieces it together for the audience with flashbacks of him negotiating with this person or him negotiating with the mayor or him uh, almost getting like beat up, almost getting attacked by the mob because they wanted to make a red light district and spitting in the face of that and doing like doing a lot of good is what they like explain the whole backstory of one of these uh, people at the wake that did notice it and was more profoundly affected by Kenji earlier on was one that was that Kenji had told that he might not have much time just in passing like he did like Kenji wasn't trying to like open up to him but he said We must hurry. Like, we don't have much. I don't have much time. And then he just thought of that. And then he noticed him having like trips to the bathroom and stuff like that. That was unusual. That just made the job harder and made him respect him a whole hell of a lot more. To kind of clear everything up about his death, too, a policeman shows up and speaks of Kenji's last moments. This policeman was really devastated about Kenji's death. He paid his respects. And he explained the story. And the story is that Kenji was sitting on a swing and singing that same song that he had sung earlier in the movie when he was out partying. It's about, you know, enjoying life while you have it and doing the most with it that you can and doing it with people you love. Uh, And the policeman at the time had just thought that Kenji was some drunk that, you know, was going to be fine and was just messing around on the swing. But uh, it turned out that Kenji died on that swing and collapsed. And that's uh, when the policeman found him, but he was happy and he was singing and he was alive in that moment. And the song, you know, like we said, is like about all these things, but specifically about how brief life is and can be back at the wake when they hear that, that kind of cements it for them that he knew what was happening to him and he did all that work for you know this small victory of like something good in the world that he left behind and everyone at the wake vows to change the change the way they work so they vow to all like live by his example and do the most they can all the time but we wipe to the next day and it's the same old, same old. It's, you know, passing the buck. The employee that like was the most connected to Kenji during the whole process and had the earliest suspicions of his illness stood up and was, you know, just with his eyes ridiculing and questioning the new the new director because the new director is passing things off like they used to really they just kind of go back to that apathetic cycle and then that employee walks home along the bridge that is directly over the playground that Kenji had built and had left behind and that's the end of the film. So as far as place in society goes this is one of you know it's a Kurosawa film so Coppola was inspired by it, uh, Spielberg was, Scorsese was. This is among their favorite films of Kurosawa. Yeah, it's just, it's very good. Uh, the reason we're going to be releasing it around Christmas here is that, um, it to me, it's kind of like the foreign language version of It's a Wonderful Life. I think they're very uh, similar in their own ways. Um, I like Akira a little more, but they're they're kind of both mirrors of each other in some way and both very effective and hold up very well. I really like Akira, Akira Kurosawa, so if I were to rec- make any recommendations, it would be Seven Samurai. It would be Ran. Check out a Ran video. It would be uh, Hidden Fortress. It would be Yojimbo and Sanjuro. Kagemusha. Like, you really can't go wrong with any Akira Kurosawa. And then my rating of this film is going to be, out of five stars, five stars. I think this is one of those films that's just going to last forever. It's very uh, universal and humanistic and those kind of things last. Uh, So that's about all the time we have for today, guys. Uh, Please check out our Instagram, Twitter, Patreon. Uh, Tell your friends about us. Um, Pass this along. Uh, We're gonna be changing up the structure a little bit. It might be a little more seasonal, where we have a grouping of one type of video for a number of months, and then a grouping of another type to try to like you know make get a more uh, sustainable pattern going. Um, We're gonna keep you guys updated the best we can with that. On that note, have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening and watching the spoiler alert podcast.